gathered here and Something like this hits you, and you are flat on your back, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do. It reminds you that this idea of your size and strength is so far off. Truly, we are weak, frail, limited, and small. Conversely, our view of God is, is way too often far too small. We would admit out loud, loud that God is powerful, that he is omnipotent, that he is large and beyond comprehension. We might, we might say that, but so often the way that we treat him, the way that we relate to him, so often, often the way that we um, pray, we treat God as if he is a lot smaller than he is. And so on the one hand, we act, we act a lot bigger than what we are, and on the one hand, we act like he's a lot smaller than he is. And this week, I have been impacted over and over and over by just how limited I am. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you would say that God is all-powerful, that he's omnipotent? That word, omnipotent, is one that I think is really lost in the novel. We, we, we say it, we mean it. But so often our lives don't show it. Our view, our, our picture of God is, is very, very small. We might not think it is, but think about the way that we pray. We pray for our needs. We pray about the difficult situations in our lives. And if we're honest, we treat God as if He is unable to meet our needs. We act as if there are things that are too great for Him. We act as if there are things that are beyond Him. We treat our problems like our problems are bigger than God. But here's what we need to understand. Our minds cannot even begin to conceive how big, big God is. And if nothing else, if nothing else, I want us to all leave tonight with an impression of just how big God is. I'd like to show you a picture of what I mean. In 2015, NASA released the largest picture ever taken. It's actually a composite of many, many images all pieced together like a puzzle. Uh, the picture 
future is of the Andromeda Galaxy, which is the next galaxy over from the Milky Way. And what I'm going to show to show you is a much smaller version than the original, because in order to see the original in full quality, you need over 600 um, big screen HD HDTVs. And so I want this image to stay with us um, throughout this message. Allison, if you want to go ahead and put up the image. So, this is a picture of the Andromeda Galaxy. Um, if any of you have been in, been in this church uh, for a long time, you might recognize that this is something that I have uh, brought up in before a number of years ago. Um, as I've been reflecting this, this week over uh, these things, this came flooding back into my mind. So this picture, again, is a composite of many, many, many pictures of the Andromeda galaxy. And hopefully this picture is cool enough to take your breath away. If not, if you're, if you're saying, well, you know, this is a pretty cool picture and whatnot, but um, I want to show you something about this picture, perhaps, that will take your breath away. And if it doesn't, there is something seriously wrong with you. Um, what we're going to do, do in this video is we're going to zoom in on a small corner of the Andromeda galaxy, which is above the mountain in this photo. So don't, pl don't play it yet. I'm going to see, because I know a number of you are watching at home, I'm going to see if I can put the camera on the screen here, um, and then we will uh, watch this video, video of the Andromeda galaxy. Allison, if you would go ahead and play that for us. Yep.
So, the video that we just watched called Gigapixels of, of Andromeda. And that video included over 100 million stars. Some of which are hundreds of times the size of the sun. This picture covers an area that stretches over 40,000 light years of space. The picture was taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, and NASA compares it to taking a picture of a, of a beach and then zooming in on, on individual grains of sand. And this image, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you, is one corner of one photograph in this one galaxy alone. And we, we haven't even looked at everything in, in the photo. But the photo that we started with, uh, uh, of where it starts looking above the mountain, we, that video, video zoomed in on one small corner. Now try to wrap your mind around the fact that our universe contains, by NASA's estimate, over two trillion galaxies. Each one of those galaxies containing somewhere around a hundred billion stars. And that is only what our limited technology has been able to measure. Most scientists agree that the universe is likely far, far larger than that, but we simply do not have the capability yet to see any further out. Now, that, that's just the number of stars. That's not even talking about the number of planets that orbit these stars. This is an even larger number that we simply just can't wrap our minds around. The most conservative estimates indicate that in our galaxy alone, there could be as many as 10 billion planets. Each of them, with any, any number of moons or dwarf planets around them. And again, our galaxy is one of two, two trillion galaxies. Hopefully, by now, you are feeling incredibly small. And hopefully, God is seeming incredibly big, big. Big, considering that all those trillions times trillions of stars and planets and moons and galaxies came into being through one sentence spoken by the mouth of God, who said, let there be, and there was. And Psalm 147 verse 4 tells us that not only did God create all of those stars, it tells us that God, God names every single one. It says, He determines the stars and gives it to all, all of them their names. Or consider the words of Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his, hand, his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there, are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy. It's rising in the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. When we look at an image like this, we can understand why David says in awe in Psalm 8, 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, if you care for him. I almost want to, want to say, David, you have no idea. David wrote that having no idea how immense our universe is. David wrote those words without ever seeing the pixels of Andromeda. How much more should we be, be in awe of God's magnitude, armed with the knowledge that we now have? And yet, and yet, our view of God so often is so small. So often we act as though God is unable to meet our needs. God, the creator of the universe, the creator of big pixels 
particular text, God is addressing the people of Judah who have forsaken God to, to follow after other foreign gods. They've forsaken God and they begin to follow other gods. They've built altars and shrines to these gods. They have walked away from faith. And God addresses these people and, and he, make, he makes clear to them that he is going to judge them. And in verse 14, he says, I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. This is a clear reference to the Babylonian exile that's going to occur a short time later. God allows Babylon to invade and take them captive to teach them how incredibly foolish they are for putting their trust in anyone but him. So in the first verses we read, God gives a vivid picture of what a life looks like when our trust is in the wrong place. So if you're taking notes, here is point number one. Trusting in ourselves makes us tumbleweeds. Trusting in ourselves makes us tumbleweeds. Look again at verse 5, where God says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose, whose heart turns away from the Lord. It's interesting to me the way that this is phrased. And the reason I say that is because at the beginning of the chapter, God, God addresses people who have been worshiping false gods building altars and shrines and temples, etc. to them. Their worship has been directed toward false deities. But here, he says, cursed is a man who trusts in man. He doesn't say cursed is the man that trusts in false gods. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. But that's not a mistake. Nor is it an accident. Because what he is saying, in no uncertain terms, is that those false gods are merely projections of ourselves. They are a roundabout way of self-worship. Because we are, we are worshiping something we created. Something we came up with. And all these false religions were really all the same. In fact, many other religions today have the same premise as the ones described in these passages. In order for you to have good from the gods, you must do certain things to appease them. Religion is performance-based. You must sacrifice the right things in the right ways, at the right times, in the right places. And that is a religion based on yourself, on your actions and devotions. You earn your way. The onus is on you, your strength, your belief, your practice, your faithfulness. And so, in that case, who are you really, really worshiping? You. The same is true when we approach Christianity with a view that's based on our good works. Thinking that we can earn our way to God with any of the, of the checklist items, going to church, reading the Bible, doing X, Y, or Z that we're commanded to do. In, in that case, your worship is not on God. Your worship is on you. Your trust is in yourself. And so, God says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Now you might be saying, well, I don't have any shrines to false gods. I've checked in my house, and uh, I did not find any shrines to a false deity there. I did not find any statues to any idols. So, so I'm in the clear, right? I worship the real God. And hopefully... Hopefully that's true. But remember, so often what we do is we craft God in our image. Because what we do is we decide how we are to worship Him. We're guilty of having a false picture of God. Making a golden calf out of how we approach 
God. Rather than being, being obedient to Him, we try to decide how things will go. According to one study, 82% of Americans believe God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. Now, this is not just talking about silly, unchurched, biblically illiterate Americans. Okay? When born-again Christians are asked the same question, they do not fare much better. 82% of Americans believe that's a verse in the Bible. 81% of born-again Christians say the same thing. Even, even more sad, according to the same study, 75% of teenagers believe that this is the central message of the Bible. That God helps those who help themselves. So, according to that study, the majority of people in church are saying, if God is going to bless me, it's going to have to be up to me. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to use the Protestant work ethic, and I will earn the, earn the blessings of the Almighty. That, my friends, is foolish. For some of us, it's not even about earning the blessings of God. For some of us, we don't even bring a need, need before God because we don't think that He's able to handle it. Even if we don't say that out loud or allow ourselves to articulate that thought, we treat God that way in the way that we pray, in the way that we act. We don't trust that God is able to handle our problems, and so we take matters into our own hands. God is not able to deal with this issue. I'm the only one who can deal with this. I don't need to trust this to God. I need to work harder. I need to figure this out. I need to control this. I need to manage this. God is not big enough. Do you understand how foolish that is? Think again about the image and the video that we looked at earlier. The vast reaches of the known universe. Dave, can you put that um, picture on the screen again for me? Yeah, this one. Gigapixels of Andromeda. And consider that all of this came to be in an instant without God even lifting a finger. All of those countless stars, planets, galaxies, all of that came to be as a result of ten words. Ten words. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And just like that, the far reaches of the universe appeared out of nothing. All of that. Things like a black hole that was recently discovered that's estimated to be 12 billion times the size of the sun. God spoke 10 words. 10 words. And it all came to be. Consider this. The average person in America speaks about 13,000 words per day. The average man speaks about, about 7,000. The average woman speaks about 20,000. So we meet in the middle at around 13,000. Just for reference, my average sermon is about 6,000 words. So I am throwing the numbers off for myself. But, but on average... We speak about 1,100 sentences per day. Now let me ask you this. How many of those 1,100 sentences that you have spoken today created a vast universe out of nothing? Out of the 13,000 words that you have said today, how many of them have accomplished anything of real value? Eli says zero. Perhaps some of the words that you've spoken today have resulted in you getting a value meal in a drive-thru. Hardly the same, am I right? Ten words out of God's mouth created the vast expanse of astronomy. That should give us, us a different perspective on the power contained in every other word that comes out of His mouth. 
shouldn't it? If God has that kind of power in a spoken sentence, name me anything that he is incapable of. So, God gives a picture of what it looks like when we trust in our own strength or in the strength of any other person. Look at what he says in verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Like a shrub in the desert. The picture that God gives us is one of a sickly, doing its best not to die, dried out bush. It's basically a tumbleweed. You guys know tumbleweeds that are in the desert. They just roll along in the, de- the desert wind. That is what we look like when we trust in ourselves. Like a tumbleweed. And God then promises that no good will come. will remain in parched places in an uninhabited salt land. When you look at a bush like that, what word comes to, to mind? For me, the word that comes to mind almost immediately is pathetic, right? It's just sad to look at. You, you want to go over and pour a bottle of water on the poor thing. It is on its last legs, right? We might think that if we do do everything ourselves... It makes us strong. But it's the opposite. It highlights our pathetic weakness in the face of the vast expanses of God's power. When I compare my power to God's power, it's like comparing a cigarette lighter to a billion atomic bombs. When you really think about it, it doesn't make the smallest amount of sense, and it makes us look foolish. Last week, I could barely get myself out of bed. I could barely do anything for myself. And when I did do something for myself, when I made it down the stairs, at the the bottom of the stairs, I felt like I had run a marathon. That is how weak and frail I am. So why then do we even do that? Why why do we trust in ourselves? Why do we make the mistake of exalting ourselves higher than we are? Verse 9 tells us. Verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We make the mistake of trusting in ourselves because our hearts are desperately sick. They are deceitful. They trick us. Now, we live in a culture that loves to to tell us to follow our hearts. Okay? How many of you have ever received the advice directly or seen in some piece of pop culture that we need to follow our hearts? Okay, all the time. It's everywhere. But let me tell you something. That advice is moronic. It's idiotic. It's stupid. We should never trust our hearts. Our hearts deceive us. This verse tells us that our hearts are desperately sick. Sick because of sin. Our hearts are constantly pumping us full of the lies of the flesh, telling us to go and eat forbidden fruit. And specifically as it pertains to our topic for tonight, it's because of our hearts that we make the mistake of trusting in ourselves. Because our hearts are telling us, you've got this. You don't need anyone. You're strong. You're You're capable. You have power. Believe in yourself. Um, My daughter, I guess I should say my older daughter, Marisol, loves the show Elena of Avalor. 
uh, Disney uh, Channel show. And Princess Elena is the first Latina Disney princess. So we love that. In our house, we're like, all right, yeah, Latina princess. And for the most part, it, it's, uh, it's a good show. But like every Disney Channel show, every Disney movie ever made, there are, are parts where the worldview of a lost world comes bleeding out from under the surface. In one particular episode of this show, Princess Elena is singing a song that perfectly illustrates what culture believes about our hearts. She, sing, she sings these words. I'm not going to sing it because I had COVID and you don't want to hear that. She sings these words. There's a message you will not find in a book. Inside yourself is where you'll have to look. Find your courage and your pride. Inner strength will be your guide. And it will always see you through when you believe the magic within you. What poison. Subtle, catchy, dressed up like a princess. Poison. Guys, these verses make clear that what happens when we believe the magic within us is we become like dry, lifeless tumbleweeds. When we start believing that we are self-sufficient, that we don't need to find the truth in a book, we are guaranteed to become parched. Inner strength may look like a great caption for a Pinterest photo, but it is a terrible guide in real life. A terrible guide that leaves us parched in the desert. But what does it look like when we trust God instead? Point number two. Trust in God turns tumbleweeds into evergreens. Trust in God turns tumbleweeds into evergreens. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is a very different picture indeed. A very different picture from the one that we just saw. Every negative description that was used in the previous verses gets turned around completely. We go from tumbleweed to evergreen, from no water to streams of living water, from no roots to deep, healthy roots. Cursed is the man who trusts in himself and his heart is turned away from God, but blessed is the man who trusts in God and has his heart turned toward him. The first is like a sickly shrub. The second is like a rich, healthy tree. The first is dwelling in desolation and parched, uninhabited salt land. The second is planted by a stream with its roots drinking deeply of good, pure water. So Jeremiah gives us a vivid picture of what it looks like to trust in man and what it looks like to trust in God. And after he reverses these visuals, then he goes further and adds that the leaves remain green. The fruit continues to grow despite outside forces like heat and drought, okay? I want us to be very clear here that trusting in the Lord does not mean that heat and drought never come. It absolutely does. But it's different when it does. It says here that you are not anxious in the year of drought. That you do not fear when heat comes. This is significant because nowhere does this or any other passage promise that when we trust in the Lord, we'll never have to face difficulty. 
that is a lie called the prosperity gospel. This passage is clear in telling us that even when we trust in God, heat is still going to come. There will still be periods of drought. Not everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be pain. There are going to be seasons uh, of loss, of dryness. But even in the midst of those difficult times, this tree cannot be shaken. It keeps bearing fruit. fruit. It stays green. And it stays green because of where it is planted. My friends, it is all about where we are planted. If you were to take that sickly shrub and uproot it, that that sickly shrub that's in the desert, if you uprooted it and you planted it by a stream of water, what do you think would happen to it? it? What do you think would become of it? it? It would become healthy. It would become green. It would become fruit bearing. But planted in a desert, it cannot access that life-giving water. Man's strength is as dry as a desert. God's strength is a mighty river that runs miles deep. And so what God is doing is he is beckoning each one of us, saying, come and plant yourself by the river. Find your strength in me. Nothing is beyond my control. A little bit later, in the book of Jeremiah, God leads Jeremiah to do something crazy. He tells him to purchase land that that is in the middle of a battleground. And he promises him that one day, houses and fields and vineyards will be established there again. And this takes place right in the middle in the middle of a siege. So <laughs> Jeremiah goes and he buys land right in the middle of the heart of war, saying, "Fields and vineyards will be here." Uh, by our judgment, that is ludicrous. But Jeremiah obeys, and as he holds the purchase deed in his hand. He prays this in chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah's Jeremiah's words were, I trust you because you have made the heavens and the earth. If only Jeremiah could have looked at the largest photo ever taken, gigapixels, of Andromeda. If only Jeremiah could have seen the unfathomable expanses of the heavens, how much louder and stronger would he have prayed this prayer? Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Just looking at the night sky With the naked eye alone, he marveled and he said, you've done all this. Nothing is beyond you. Verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The answer, of course, to that question is no. God is saying, behold, I am the Lord, the God of the gigapixels of Andromeda. Is anything too hard for me? No. Let me go back to chapter 17. We look at verse 12. We're told that the glorious throne of God, which has remained unshaken for eternity, is the place that provides our sanctuary. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. We are completely safe, completely at peace, completely impervious to anything that comes against us, 
because we have strength that emanates from that throne. We're kind of like the scrawny kid whose best friend is the biggest guy in school. What bully can come against us? We can start trash-talking any kind of bully, not because we are big and strong, but because we've got backup. Our bodyguard is much bigger than any bully, so we have nothing to fear. Those who do not trust in the Lord, however, are promised that they will be put to shame. Look at verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Again, I want you to consider how foolish, how crazy it is for us to not trust the God who created the gigapixels of Andromeda with one, one sentence, and instead to look up at the stars, to look up at the heavens and go, nah, I got this. <laughs> I got this. I don't need that kind of power on my side. I got this. Ladies and gentlemen, let us not be those people. You have no need, no prayer request, no enemy, no ailment, no situation that is more powerful than the God who spoke the stars into existence. And I promise you, if you trust in him, you will never be put to shame. And God sees us in our moments of fear and trembling. And like he asked Jeremiah, he is asking us, is anything too hard hard for me? Is anything too difficult for me? Look up at the stars and ask yourself, is anything too big for me? The answer course not. There is nothing too big for our God. You and I are small and frail and weak and we can be taken out by a disease. Our strength is so finite and so dependent on so many things. But God God is so much bigger. God God is so much stronger. God is limitless. And his power is eternal and effortless. When he speaks, universes come to be. So we can trust every word he says. If there is anything that you need to entrust to the Lord... Let that take place today. Your life, your heart, heart, your fears, your doubts, your, your questions. He can handle it. Give it to him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for giving us hope the size of a universe. Lord, we know that you are the God of time and space. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to take our eyes off of ourselves. That you would humble us to see that we cannot place our hope in our hearts, in our flesh, in our strength. Show us, Lord, that the only person worthy of our hope is you. Turn our eyes upward. And keep them there. Let us fix our eyes on the infinite God that you are. Lord, I pray that if there's any person here or watching or listening to the podcast later on who has never trusted you with their heart, 
who's never trusted you for salvation. God, I pray that right now you would draw them by your spirit. Pray that right now, Lord, you would you would bring them to a place of surrender where they say, I'm ready to give you everything. Pray that you would give us the right perspective. Lord, for any of us who are dealing with burdens, with pain, with struggle, with sin, with lies, with any attack of the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would turn our eyes upward toward you and that we would place all of our trust in you to be the one to take it away, to carry us through, to get us to the other side, to hold our hand and let us know that if we trust in you, we will not be put to shame. God, I pray for an extra measure of your grace, grace and love that are just as big as your power. That we know that not only are you a God big enough to create a universe, you are a God good enough to fill it with your love, to fill it with your grace. You are a God wise enough to know exactly what to do. Let us lay everything at your feet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we will close in worship.